Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And don't go away uh, just yet. Me? <laughs> no, the, the listener. Uh, because I know the title of this uh, this podcast has Higgs in it, Higgs boson. You know, it's LHC. It's all that stuff. It's uh, subatomic uh, particles. It's subatomic physics. But please don't run off just yet because uh, here's here's my take on all of this, just real quick. I kind of look at subatomic particles and uh, particle physics as being kind of like a chocolate-covered urinal cake. Mm. Um, I, was, I was talking about this yesterday. Yeah. So chocolate-covered urinal cake, it's it's great so long as you do not bite in too far. As long as you know exactly how deep to go into the subject and everything's chocolatey and nice, go too deep and things get confusing, confusing and awful really, really fast. That's just my personal take. I'm not meaning to dump on... Uh, physics or particle physics, it's very important, and we're going to stress the importance of Higgs and everything in this episode, but we're very much approaching this from the standpoint of we're going to break it down and tell you what you need to know about it, and we're not going to go so deep that we're going to hit urinal cake. Yeah, and if, if you're really disturbed by the urinal cake, just think of it as the most decadent chocolate-covered dessert, not a urinal cake, yeah. that you could only take a couple of bites of. You'd be very satisfied by. Yeah. Anything else, you'd have a tummy ache. Yeah, because this is one of those uh, those topics that's really important. That's why it's in the news all the time. But I feel like we have a tendency to not read articles that are actually about Higgs or to just – we just sort of register, oh, there's something happening with the Higgs. And you can go on like that for months and months and never actually stop to attempt to understand what it is. And, and certainly scientists face that disconnect, too, of trying to explain something that's really, really complicated. And it's, it's right at the bleeding edge of our understanding. And not only that, it, it's uh, it's really interesting, exciting stuff because it says something about the way that our whole world is is stuck together and how we actually exist. So exactly. we're going to try to get to the bottom of that today without um, too much uh, urine in the urine cake, too much chocolate in the chocolate cake, right? so to speak. So why is it in the news? Well, uh, it's because in the past couple of weeks, and we should mention that we're recording this, uh, let's, what's the date? July 6th. 17th? Yeah, we're recording this July 17th, thereabouts. 18th. Or Matt 18th. says 18th. I don't know what day it is. Yeah. You know, th- thereabouts, that's the, the time bubble that we're trapped in when we're recording this. It's entirely likely there'll be a new development before this goes live. We may or may not have time to edit things if that's the case, so just bear with us. Uh, if, you, if you're hearing this six months from now and, and there's all this sort of crazy news out there that has uh, given us new light to the understanding of Higgs, Please, please do not uh, become incensed with us. Yeah, but but this is all the data in here is going to be good bedrock, uh, regardless. So uh, the whole news is that you know we've been searching for the uh, the Higgs boson for a while. We've been we've been slamming stuff together in a particle accelerator, which we'll get into in a minute. We've been <laughs> in other words, we've been conduct- conducting this massive experiment to try and glimpse this particle uh, that only exists for a fraction of a second. We think it theoretically should exist, and we want to find it. And so they have spotted something they think may be it, but we're we're not sure yet. Yeah, and it's important to say that that right now physicists are simply calling it Higgs-like, uh, not the Higgs uh, boson particle. So, um, and, and the reason they're doing that is because they have a bunch of data. They've got a mountain of data, but they want to be really careful about it because it could be just turn out to be not the Higgs particle, but a different particle. Yeah, or some like more exotic version of it. it- 
it's a lot is riding on finding it, though, because as we'll discuss, uh, I mean, the whole standard model of physics points towards its existence. Right, right. And everything else lines up in the standard model. Okay, mm-hmm. so everything that we can it makes sense in it. We we have plugged everything in. Uh, we can see where things are working, and we just need this last bit of the puzzle. And Higgs is it. It's it's the glue that makes everything happen. Um, let's talk about CERN real quick. Uh, yes. This is a multinational research center headquartered in Geneva, and it houses the super collider that we've been talking about called the Large Hadron Collider. There are two teams of about 3,000 physicists each, one named Atlas, and that's led by Fabio Legionotti. And the other, CMS, is led by Dr. Incandela. And they operate giant detectors in the collider, sorting the debris from the primordial fireballs left after proton collisions. Now, I'll give you a quick run-through on the proton collisions. Mm -hmm. Um, So in order to get this situation where we have all this stuff we can analyze and try it and and spot things like the Higgs, um, what we have at the LHC is this massive track, all right, this massive ring of superconducting magnets, uh, 17 miles of these things in a giant underground loop. It spans France and uh, in Switzerland, I believe. Yeah. And I like to think of it in terms of, uh, uh, if you remember the Adams family, Gomez Adams had the trains that he would set up, mm-hmm. but he would set them up so that he would eventually have two trains have a head-on collision and crash, a big fiery explosive crash there on his, his model train mm-hmm. uh, set. And this is how they came up with the idea of the LHC, right? <laughs> well, uh, maybe not. it's fun to think think of it that way. That's the way I I imagine it because he would get real giddy and, and he would just be watching yeah. super close as those things collided, and that's what we're doing. Except instead of using trains, um, we are sending two beams of particles close to the speed of light through that ring, uh, each traveling in a different direction, all inside of a vacuum, and then the collision happens. All right, um, things get smashed apart, and in that moment, that just moment of of chaos, we can glimpse these just ephemeral particles that only exist, um, you know, in the uh, this that minute uh, sliver of time following uh, such a catastrophe. And we know the mass of the different particles, right? So, for instance, a proton is about a billion electric volts mm-hmm. uh, when it's smashed, and then it begins to decay. Um, and so there's a, a specific signature that each of these particles has, and it's believed that um, that our friend Higgs, that particle, has has a very specific uh, range. I believe it's between like 120, 150, something around there. And so what they began to see is these what they call data bumps mm-hmm. in this decay factor, these signatures. And last winter they, they reported these hints of this particle, this ghost of a particle in the machine. Um, and they wanted to make sure it wasn't a statistical fluke. And it wasn't. Uh, and they've been working with Fermilabs, too, in, in Illinois, because they also have a collider, and trying to figure out, okay, is this little ghost we're seeing something, a hint of what could be the Higgs particle? Of course, you know who else um, has a particle accelerator? Who? The Ghostbusters, if you'll remember. They, uh, the proton packs were uh, particle accelerators. That's right. So, so we're talking about very similar technology here, except instead of being used to, to harness a spirit mm-hmm. and, uh, and force it into a, 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 a trap, uh, we're instead just uh, aiming them at each other. We're, in a way, we're kind of crossing the streams. We're just colliding the streams, right? Well, plasma involved in, in both, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was an attempt at a, at a Higgs joke. But, but there are a lot nice. of attempts at Higgs jokes uh, going on right now. It's a, it's a rich area of, of comedy. Well, and it's, this is the reason I think because um, because everybody knows that it's ex- it's it's exciting news. It could change our view of physics, uh, 
And yet it's such a weighty topic that I think that it's gotten some fuel here from um, from comedy because, you know, it's very hard to understand. And yet people are trying to put it in terms that make sense of it. And, um, and make people a little uh, um, less afraid of it, too, because it can be intimidating. It's like, oh, particle physics. But you throw in a, a joke about it, then it's a, a little more relatable. Well, you know, a it's a fat funny. joke. There are a lot of fat jokes about it. Well, mass jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Holly Fry from Pop Stuff actually was talking to me yesterday about the whole brouhaha about Comic Sans, the font that was used by CERN mm-hmm. in their PowerPoint uh, slide <laughs> when they were, were discussing uh, their discovery of this Higgs-like particle. And people were just outraged Yeah, Comic this. Sans, is that the one that looks like a lemonade stand? Um, yeah, okay. yeah. It actually is a font. It's a, a font that is intended for children. Was designed <laughs> for that purpose. Yeah. It's very easy to read. Um, but people are like, really? Like this huge revelation is going to be now released into the world with that font, um, and, and people are going nuts over it. I think it's really funny though. They were they were torn between that one and the blood drippy font. You know, it was one of the two. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or or maybe like the 1920s, like Broadway <laughs> font. Um, but anyway, I think that, you know, maybe it was intentional. Maybe they felt like if they took this really simplistic font and, um, and, and then gave all this really heavy information that people would be uh, more psycholo- psychologically primed to be like, okay, I can get this. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but there's a bunch of big Higgs jokes going around, too. Uh, here's one. Uh, Higgs Boston walks into a Catholic church. Priest says, what are you doing here? Higgs Boston says, you can't have mass without me. Oh. oh. Yeah. Because, yeah. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll explain that later. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Uh, all right. We should probably set aside Higgs jokes unless you have any more. No, I mean, that's a good example of one right there. Um, I mean, because a lot of them, like I say, come down to weight. They come down to mass because the Higgs is very tied up in this idea of mass. And why does anything have mass? Uh so we need to talk a little bit about standard model. Yeah. Now, the the, the thing about standard model um, is that uh, it, it's about explaining the complexity of our universe. It's about trying to really get down to what makes up the universe, what are the rules concerning its structure. So it's it's really important. You know, we're talking about the, the structure of the universe, the origins of the universe at its very heart. But it's also kind of like the old, it reminds me, of the uh, you know the analogy of the elephant, uh, the blind man grasping at the elephant, and in the past we've you know various areas of science have been touching one part of the elephant and saying oh it's a tree oh it's a snake oh it's a it's a it's it's a, um, a sail or something you know, mm-hmm. it's a giant pancake uh, it's a wall but what we really want is a more complete vision of what the universe is and how it works and, mm-hmm. and so standard models an attempt to do that. Um, yeah, and for h- historical context, you should point out that in the early days of the 20th century, particle physics was really in its infancy. And we're talking about, you know, just knowing about two particles, uh, protons and electrons. Right. That was the extent of our knowledge. Yeah, I mean, we discovered atoms and protons, neutrons, electrons, quarks and leptons eventually. So mm-hmm. it, we keep diving deeper. Uh, and, and so, uh, enter the standard model, which, uh, describes the universe as being made of 12 different matter particles and four forces, okay? Those 12 particles include six quarks, six leptons, but don't worry about that right now. Uh, And then it also involves these four forces, gravity, electromagnetic force, Mm -hmm. strong force, and weak force. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, and those I think are a lot easier to grasp. Um, those those different forces they work over different ranges and they have different strengths. Gravity is the weakest, mm-hmm. but it has an infinite range. Uh, the electromagnetic force also has an infinite range, but it's many times stronger than gravity. Uh, the weak and strong forces are effective only over a short, a very short range and dominate only at the level of subatomic particles. So that's really where Higgs boson becomes important here. Um, and despite its name, the weak force is much stronger than gravity, but it is actually the weakest of, of the other three. The strong force is, as the, the name says, the strongest of the forces. Yeah, the, uh, the theory proposes that electricity, magnetism, light, and some types of radioactivity are all manifestations of that single electroweak force. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so it, it unites the electromagnetic and weak forces, two of the, the four fundamental forces of nature, along with strong force and gravity. But this theory only holds water if the particles in question had no mass, zero mass, mm-hmm. in the period immediately following the Big Bang. So we this theory creates this situation where we have there has to be this time when they had no mass. So there has to be something that is giving them mass. Mm-hmm. We have to find a, a perpetrator. Uh, a, a suspect, somebody we can pin mass itself on. So it's kind of like somebody's been stealing the donuts. We don't know who, but we know that person exists. We know that that donut thief exists somewhere. And we just <laughs> have to spot them. And in this case, the donut thief uh, is the Higgs boson. It is. This is the particle that theoretically mm-hmm. is, well, not stealing donuts, but um, is, is involved in the process of giving things mass. Okay, yeah, and three of the fundamental forces result from the exchange of force carrier, carrier particles, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, this belongs to the broader group called bosons, right? This yeah. is where Higgs boson comes in. So that is this exchange. That's what's giving it mass. This is, this is what works in the equation. Mm-hmm. So all of these forces, uh, these four forces that we're talking about, um, theoretically then align to a particular particle. That's right. So, um, you know, you've got... Each fund- fundamental force having its own corresponding boson particle. The strong force is carried by the gluon. The electromagnetic force is carried by the photon, um, little packets of light as we know them. Mm-hmm. And the W and Z bosons are responsible for the weak force. Yeah, it's um, particle uh, physicists don't like for you to call Higgs boson the god particle, but you can kind of think of these little particles as gods of their corresponding um, force, you know. Yeah, in the WZ, it gets I mean, it gets complicated fast. Like even just throwing this at you guys, you're probably like, okay, WZ, the gluon, da da da. But if you think about them all corresponding with those different forces, it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to to understand. Um, and then, of course, you're probably sitting there saying, what about gravity? Um, well, it's you know we haven't found this particle yet to correspond with gravity, but um, we expect something called the graviton to be a force carrying particle of gravity. Right. And gravity is the problem of the standard model. Um, now, according to CERN, uh, it's not as big a problem as we think it is, though. Um, they seem to downplay it a bit. They say that fitting gravity comfortably into the framework has proved to be a difficult challenge. The quantum theory used to describe the micro world and the general theory of relativity used to describe the macro world are like two children who refuse to play nicely together. Again, these uh, there's going to be so many different examples when, when we come to talking about this, which is helpful, right? Because okay, so now we're thinking about two kids not playing with each other. They say no one has managed to make the two mathematically compatible in the context of the standard model. But luckily for particle physics, when it comes to the minuscule scale of particles, the effect of gravity is so weak as to be negligible. 
So only when we have matter in bulk, such as in ourselves or in planets, does the effect of gravity dominate. So the standard model still works well, despite its reluctant exclusion of one of the fundamental forces. So again, two blind men, an elephant, (laughs) bearing ideas about what it is. And the varying theories don't necessarily mesh well with one another. Right. So they're saying, okay, we, we... we know that we have a missing part here, but this is still sort of limping along in terms of bearing out um, what we think is happening, and we expect to find this other corresponding particle. Mm-hmm. So that out of the way, and knowing that the Higgs uh, boson is really important here, that W and Z that we were talking about, mm-hmm. um, let's talk more specifically about this particle that is involved in making the standard model work as best it can. This particle... Uh, emits what is called a Higgs field, mm-hmm. all right? And this field imbues all the particles that pass through it with mass. This this powerful thing called mass, this almost, uh, I mean, it, it's difficult to imagine the universe without mass. Mm-hmm. You have to think, when I'm talking about this field, this field is the size of the cosmos. It is that big of a field. It's not like, oh, there's this field here, this one little doorway, this magic door, and every particle that goes through it became... Uh, a massed object. So something like a photon, the packet of light, right, is right. going to go through this field because it doesn't have any mass, and it's going to go through really quickly, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you'd have something like the W and Z bosons, these elementary particles that mediate the weak interaction, that force that we we're talking about, would get bogged down with mass. Um, assuming that the Higgs boson really is, is existing in here and, and this is what we found and this is what's happening, everything that has mass gets it by interacting with this field, as you say. Yeah, there's a good, um, uh, the analogy that I ran across that I really liked uh, comes from John Gunion, a uh, physicist at the University of California at Davis. And uh, he said that, uh, in short, the Higgs field is a cosmos-sized swimming pool and everything is swimming in it. Particles that interact strongly with the Higgs field like a heavy-set man swimming with his clothes on, um, are heavier than particles that breeze through the pool like an Olympic, Olympic swimmer in a wetsuit. Uh, I like that analogy very much. And uh, I want to point out, too, that there, there's a lot of confusion between the Higgs particle and the field. Um, they are two different things, obviously, mm-hmm. but the Higgs particle is inseparable from its field, and it is this exchange of particles with a background field that is giving it the mass. And I know I keep repeating it, but it's good to understand that, that the muck that it's going through, these exchanges, mm-hmm. is what is giving this stuff um, some weight. Um, there is another analogy that I liked quite a bit. Um, <laughs> yes, just because it's super silly. Uh, Martin Archer, a physicist at Imperial, Imperial College of London, explains it as, uh, think about Justin Bieber in a crowd of teenage girls. If he tries to move through them, they slow him down and his speed decreases the more they're attracted to him. So he's having a lot of exchanges in this field okay. as opposed to so and so. Uh, through this crowd of teenage girls who just passes through very quickly. Okay. And, and it doesn't have any mass or isn't accumulating any mass because this person's not having any exchanges with uh, the wildly gesticulating teenage girls. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm having to hold back from throwing, trying to throw in my own analogy because we're already weighted down with, with analogies here. So. Yeah. We are interacting a lot with these analogies yeah. and gaining mass. Uh, by the second here. But, but I also want to point out one more, though, because okay. I think it's a good way to enter into this conversation about the Large Hadron Collider. Mm-hmm. turns out that Brian Cox, who is a particle phys- physicist... and yeah, a not direct- the actor, not the older, awesome actor, but the younger... Um, Rockstar scientist. I just, yeah, yeah, that's what they call him. Um, 
he's funny. He's great. And he, you can see why he's um, doing so many talks on TED because mm-hmm. he's a great science communicator. Uh, but he was talking about uh, CERN and mm-hmm. trying to get funding for this mm-hmm. and that they talked to Margaret Thatcher about it. And she said, you know, if you can tell us what the beep this thing is, then you, and you make it explainable to politicians, then um, then I will give you the funding for it. But you've got to come up with some sort of analogy that works. Well, what it, what sort of analogy do you think they use? They, they, they use the room analogy again, and they mm-hmm. said this really popular politician... Huh. <laughs> Uh, you know, that people really wanted to interact coming through the room, getting slowed down. So I thought it was interesting that that's where that analogy was first used, and that's what helped to get the funding for CERN. Yes. All right. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break and let uh, let all of that um, gain some mass in your head. And then when we come back, we will bite once more into the chocolate-covered urinal cake. Or just delicious decadent yeah, well, slice of cake. Whichever, whichever image you prefer. All right, we're back. So, Higgs. Higgs, okay, I think we have a better understanding. Um, you know, it's the forces of nature require that that mechanism to make sense, that uh, standard model mm-hmm. and Higgs to be a part of it. And as a byproduct, you and I exist, we think, because, and this is according to Brian Cox, because many of the particles that make us up get at least part of their mass through Higgs. So on a personal level, that's why it should matter to us. Um, but let's talk about the Large Hadron Collider, because we wouldn't even be talking about this today if it weren't for, for this giant machine that we talked about, this 17-mile circumference, yeah. this beast lurking below. Yeah, well, we've gotten to it a, a little bit already, but... Um I'd like to add just a little more detail. Um, I mentioned that racetrack, uh, and you just mentioned it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you have 7,000 superconducting magnets that are, are in there to steer the protons around. Okay? So it's, uh, it, it's, it's not just a matter of, oh, this is the core. You know, because like, you think back to like, uh, like little race cars on little courses. Yeah. You have like that one little module that accelerates it, and then it just goes around. Well, the accelerators are all around this ring. Right, and as you pointed out, they're traveling at 99.99975% the speed of light, yeah. right? And the LHC, the LHC actually boosts the proton's energy by nearly 16 times and collides them 30 million times a second for up to 10 hours. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a, this is quite a bashing. Um, so when we think about what it means to have these collisions, that's the sort of, um, environment that they are creating in order to try to recreate this um, this idea of the Big Bang or the billionths of seconds, what happened after the Big Bang. Right. This is why it's so specific and why they, they bash them together this way. Yeah, I mean, it, in a way, it's kind of like anything that happens on any given episode of Mythbusters. They're like, oh, what happens with, can uh, if two trucks uh, sandwich a vehicle, can it actually you know completely crush it? So what do they do? They get a couple of trucks and a car and they smash everything together. I mean, uh, recreating um, this catastrophic event uh, for the purposes of studying how it works. And that's essentially what's going on here, uh, except in a more complicated uh, and smaller uh, form. I like this idea of them being Mythbusters, because this is a playful group, by the way. Um, you may have seen the rap that they put uh, out about the Large yeah. Hadron Collider. I love it. What are you going to... No, no I, I mean, it's it's good. It's just, um, <laughs> it's uh, you know, uh, there's just something... It's it, You can't help but cringe a little bit when, when, uh, when scientists... Uh, it's sort of so adorably geeky. You, it's adorably geeky, but it's you know Beastie Boys. It's not. 
Oh, no, but that's the charm of it, right? Well, yeah, it's the charm. You gotta love that they're like, let's do this rap about the Large Hadron Collider. <laughs> and actually, they kind of speak like that. Um, and the rap. No, it, it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm not bashing it. It's, it's funny. No, no, it's good stuff. Uh, but I, I, but I think it's important for people in that, like, they have a sense of humor. They, they're, yeah. they're playing with this. They're not just stuffy scientists who are, oh, you know, I don't care if the public understands what we're doing. You know, it's not that kind of a deal. Yeah, yeah. They're very fact, excited when it comes through. I interviewed one of the guys, uh, on, uh, on the Atlas program, uh, a couple of years ago. Did he rap? No, he did not rap. But he was a very, very nice, very down to earth guy who was willing to talk with me on the phone and sort of break down. Um, you know what they were looking for and and how the project works. So, well, and like the, they are obviously so excited about it, and that comes across, and and it's wonderful to see. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about the LHC and um, this idea of them smashing the particles together, and how they they actually discovered the the signature of the Higgs boson. The theory was that um, in this cosmic molasses, normally, in, uh, you know, which would be invisible, this Higgs field. It would produce its own quantum particle if it was hit hard enough with the right amount of energy, which mm-hmm. is why they have um, that amount of energy that they've got running through there. The particle would be fragile and would fall apart within a millionth of a second in a dozen possible ways, depending on its own mass. And then they find the signatures um, by being able to recognize the, the particles that are produced in these collisions with their decay patterns. Mm-hmm. So these are the signatures that are left behind. And each quark has many different ways of decaying, so there are several possible signatures, and each one has to be carefully examined to determine which particles were present at the time of collision. So we're talking about any time that there's a collision, just terabytes of data that is produced and then fed through computers and then comb through until they could find these really specific bumps yeah. um, that we talked about. This, I think it was like 130 uh, electrical vol- volts that they kept seeing over and over again or within that range. And this is that ghost of a pattern that I talked about. Yeah, the ghost in the machine. It's, uh, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. We, we've talked before about kind of the, the disappointment of, like, older visions of the future, and they would involve, say, really advanced space stations that never actually came to fruition, Mm -hmm. uh, or at least haven't come to fruition yet. Uh, But the LHC is one of those things where it's an incredible piece of just cutting-edge technology that is really pushing the boundaries of what we understand, and it's not necessarily the kind of thing that would have uh, appeared in most uh, science fictions, you know, but it's just as exciting when you really, really think about what it's uh, seeking to accomplish. Just the pictures alone uh, of um, the LHC are phenomenal. Yeah. And you see how mammoth this machine is, and it really does look like something from the future. It does look like yeah, this manifestation does. of what we thought, um, you know, 2012 might look like in the 60s, right? Um, in the 1960s. But um, I think more importantly, too, if you step back and you look at this development, and it does seem like, okay, it's murky. You know, is it the the particle? Is it not? You know, what are the implications? Um, if you step back and you look at everything that we have accomplished so far, it does appear that we are on the cusp of a different understanding of our universe. Yeah, I've seen it uh, um, compared to uh, Christopher Columbus, 1492, you know, his voyage to the New World. And... Uh, at, you know, he thought he was, uh, he was, you know, he set sail for the East Indies and he landed in what he thought was Asia and it turned out to actually be the Bahamas. So we, we have no, we, we, we're not really sure exactly what's going to happen. You know, perhaps we're, we're going to find the Higgs. In other words, we're going to land on a, and the Asian continent that we set out for. Right. But it's entirely possible that we land in the Bahamas instead. But either way, our understanding of not the, 
the, the world we live in and not the, the layout of the oceans and the continents, but the, the, uh, the actual fabric of the universe itself, our understanding of that is going to change. And, and that's, yeah. like, that's exciting. Yeah, our map of the cosmos is, is shifting, I think. Um, Brian Cox, uh, again, the rock star mm-hmm. physicist, um, paraphrased Carl Sagan, and he said, you know, look at Saturn V rockets and Sputnik and DNA and literature and science. These are the things that hydrogen atoms do when given 13.7 billion years. So he's saying, like, let's back up seconds after the Big Bang and see what a hydrogen atom can do after 13 billion years. Mm-hmm. And as you say, that the sort of understanding that we gain. Um, so I thought that was a, a very nice way to put it. That's why this is important to us. Cool. Well, do we want to take a little listen to, to what Oh, yeah, to of course. Higgs? We have some sonified data here, um, which, uh, which we were talking about early. Sonified data is always a little... Uh, I mean, it's great, but it's also a little gimmicky because you're just you're taking data and you're turning it into into sound, mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily gaining an immense amount of insight into the original data by hearing it as sound. But it's still real. It's really cool. <laughs> it is really cool because the the, the data. It, I guess you could say this. You could extrapolate this. The data is creating sort of notes. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, math and musicality to it. So if you were if when you turn it into to music, you do have. I mean, I don't know. It's not. A, this is not what Higgs sounds like when it sings. Right, but it's kind of like what would Higgs sound like if it were um, a score to a 1980s science fiction film? Ah, oh, yeah. see, there you go. Or in the hands of Brian Eno. Exactly. Yeah, it, do, it does sound a lot like some of uh, Eno's uh, more ambient work. So, uh, so yeah, let's listen to uh, to the sound of Higgs. I like it. I could. I could listen to that. Yeah, that's nice. I, I listen to things that sound a lot like that. So, um, so again, sonified data. Um, it's not uh, necessarily really giving us a lot of insight, but is at the very least, it's cool and it can serve as kind of a nice uh, um, spoonful of sugar, you know, on the medicine to get people interested in science. Somehow. Well, and it's a manifestation of of Higgs in one way, right? The yeah. data just went into your ear, so. All right, let's see what's going on with the mail. Yes, call the robot over here and let's see what uh, he has for us. All right, here's one from William. William writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Julie. In regards to the episode, Is Math a Human Invention or a Human Discovery? That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, Well, here is what I think. Neither. Let me explain. Math is used in a lot of animals, including birds, which use uh, Bernoulli's principle, which states that fast-moving air is lighter than slow-moving air. Love the podcast, William. So it was kind of brief, but uh, but it is. It, he brings up a, an interesting, uh, um, I don't know, kind of a semiotic uh, point, right? That uh, is it a human invention? Is it a human discovery? You kind of have to remove uh, the human from the argument to really get maybe a, a clearer grasp of how the universe works. Well, and serendipitously, we're discussing mass again too, right? Yeah, moving through air. All right, here's one uh, we uh, heard from a listener by the name of Tom. Uh, out of Brooklyn, New York, and he wrote in and says uh, the following. Hi, Robert and Julie. Thanks for the killer episode about underwater recording and music. As a listener and fan, this episode inspired me to write in. I wanted to share a funny experience with you guys related to this very topic. I'm a recording engineer by profession and co-own and operate Brooklyn, New York's Spaceman Sounds. Can you tell we're sci-fi folks like you guys? Last year, when Hurricane Irene was descending upon us, we were informed that our studio was in an evacuation zone A, meaning in case of a hurricane or similar event, 
our premises would likely be flooded and we would we were made to evacuate. Given our sizable studio full of recording equipment and instruments, this was a daunting endeavor. My band, called Tidal Arms, uh, more space references, uh, had a rehearsal in the studio the night prior to our evacuation and insisted on battering down the hatches ahead of time um, our conversation dissolved into dark jokes about going down with the ship and recording new tunes as the studio got flooded, uh, facing certain electrocution. Uh, then this uh, spurred the question, wait, can we record underwater? Again, foregoing responsibility, we filled up the slop sink in the corner of the room with water. We dropped one of our uh, less precious microphones into a plastic bag, sealed it up, plopped it in. Uh, I'll be damned if it wasn't the most awesome low-frequency reverb sound I've ever heard. Mixed with a normal hi-fi condenser microphone in the room, it gave a monstrous, massive kick drum sound. Anyway, we did end up, in, we did end up evacuating the next day, and there wasn't a drop of water in the space. Despite all the work for not, we were uh, relieved there was no water damage. In fact, we learned a totally rad recording trick. Thanks, Irene. Just I just wanted to share this with you guys as your episode reminded me of it immediately. Thanks for the amazing undersea uh, mystery sounds uh, and the usual array of killer space age conversation. Keep up the great work. And uh, this is cool. After Tom sent this in, I was, you know, I'm like, well, you got to send me yeah. a file of that, you know, because he got me kind of excited about this. So uh, he did send in a file. And what we're going to listen to now, as he said, he had two microphones, mm-hmm. one in the slop sink and and one uh, that's just out in the open air. And uh, and so both of these microphones were recording uh, the sounds of the of, that they were playing. So the, what we're going to listen to here is just a brief clip uh, uh, that is a, uh, composed of sound from both of those microphones. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you, you that's can, pretty awesome. You can definitely hear, like you said, that 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 uh, watery, murky, sort of bloopy reverb thing going on in the background. Well, and so. I just love too that this hurricane was about to hit, and they're like, "Hey, yeah. speaking of, what would happen if we <laughs> drop this microphone in here?" I like it. It's something you tend not to see in most post-apocalyptic or disaster uh, films or whatever. You know, where it's like, "Oh my goodness, the world is ending." Let's cut an album. Let's. Uh, but I'm so in the flow that let's just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's really cool. Uh, thanks for sending that in, Tom. All right. And if uh, if you guys have anything you would like to share, uh, be it sounds that you've recorded, sonified data, or just your general thoughts on particle physics, Higgs, uh, or Higgs jokes, Higgs jokes, uh, let us have those. We may or may not uh, read them, depending on how funny they are, right? Uh, or how how weighty they are. Uh, you can, you can let us know. You can share all this stuff with us on Facebook, where we are we are stuff to blow your mind. And you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, our handle there is Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a note at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>